Hello and welcome to the GX podcast, the world's first podcast focused on government services and their future. In this podcast, we talk about everything related to government excellence, government service design and delivery, GovTech, and citizen engagement. Join us for insightful interviews and conversations every month. Visit us online at gx.ae. Wolfgang Fengler, I've been waiting to speak with you. Welcome to the GX podcast. How are things with you wherever you are and in which part of the world? Thank you, Ian. I'm doing as good as it gets. I guess this is the first time that almost every human is connected by one calamity. And so those of us who still, you know, doing okay and trying our best to help with the response are, should not complain. Absolutely. So Wolfgang, the GX podcast is all about government experience. It's about service delivery. It's about what is happening in the public sector across the world that can be used as an example. And I'll paint a little bit of a context for you as well. Um, the UAE government was part of a documentary that just came out called GX Now, and it's available on, on Amazon. It's available on, on a lot of different platforms. And the, and the idea again is how can we do things better, right? There's the economic side of things, there's the job market, there's technology, there's things such as the pandemic that, that are shaping how uh, governments deliver services or how anybody um, has that interface between, let's say, customer experience, government experience. What are you seeing or what have you seen happen in the last one year uh, to your work, uh, and, and what have, what trends have you been seeing? I guess the biggest that comes to mind and everybody can relate to is how data has been a democratized and how data has been driving decisions. So there's obviously a, a still a misconception, I think, of the world economy where people think, how can companies like Google, like Amazon, uh, like Facebook, who basically do nothing and have nothing be so valuable? Well, because they have data. And if, uh, and if in every country, and I'm here in Europe, data is now driving decisions. If people can go out, if people can go to, if kids can go to school, if people can go to work, it is a number that needs to be measured and needs to be projected in real time. Interestingly, in the early days, it was, was the John Hopkins global model that influenced the decisions of every other government in the world. Now, fortunately, most many governments have their own system to project. And so it's not an academic exercise anymore to say how many people die, how many people get infected, but it is driving all of our lives. And the better this real-time data, the better the government decisions and the better than company decisions. And that is just one example. And you could apply this COVID example to almost any other field of, of the economy and of society. Of course, and very well said. And data is such a, a critical thing. And we can be, let's talk about that. Let's dig a little bit deeper into data. So in recent times, and just talking about the documentary as well, we spoke with uh, the government of Netherlands, uh, Estonia, the UAE. Uh, we spoke with experts uh, in uh, government leaders in Azerbaijan and experts from across the world to understand, hey, what is the next, what is, what, what is beyond what is happening? And data is such an important factor because first of all it's about going and collecting that data whether it's about 
of government services being good, government services delivering something, citizen needs in a certain way. Like data is the foundation of everything that an organization or an entity or a body can do. Technology investments, rollout of new products and services. You work with a lot of data. Tell us a little bit more about some of the new indices you're working on. I know you're working on, on something new. Yeah, there's one uh, exciting project that World Data Lab is leading and I'm supporting, which is called the Internet Inequality Index. Because if in the end, connectivity and data drives the future and the future of our children, then we need to make everybody connected. And still today, almost half the world is not connected, although that number is declining fast, fortunately. But there, is a, there are inequities, you know, Poor people are less connected, people in Africa are less connected. Some of those who are connected pay a higher price than others. So just to find out what it would take to get to the next billion, the next two billion is quite fundamental. And given the price, and if you, what is pretty interesting, if you see the trends even over the last year or two, economies have declined, internet access has still increased. How is this possible? It's possible because internet access has gotten cheaper and over time also better. It's not perfect yet. But some of that demonetization of some key assets as the singularity university community talks about is at play here. And, uh, but it's still a long journey. And that I think should still be a global goal to connect everybody by 2030. And um, that in the end makes people then not just being connected, but have access to the data that everybody needs. Absolutely. And you look at some of the uh, well-connected societies today. There's, there's two aspects, I guess. There's uh, societies that have a, a mega population, such as India or China, but not necessarily uh, everybody is connected because there's a huge divide between who is and who is not connected. But then there are also societies where the population isn't that big, but many more people, the penetration of internet is much more. And I'm sure there's a correlation between the effectiveness of how services can be rolled out or how citizens are being served versus how well people are connected. Now before, uh, and, and these are lessons learned from, again, from Estonia that started their journey about three decades ago to digitize everything, to start going and collecting information in the first place and then digitizing it and then rolling out these services that they're doing. Many countries are doing this. The UAE is doing this. Um, uh, Singapore is well ahead. Uh, the Netherlands is doing this. What are you seeing as the impact or there's 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 so many things we can talk about what are you seeing as a developing focus in terms of data collection because we are looking at privacy we're looking at information not being used the way it should be used what do you foresee happen with data collection data usage and uh, the ethical collection of data in the future yeah. A few points, Ian. First, I'm quite impressed how the UAE has actually been advancing the digitization, also how they're obviously rolling out COVID now. I've been following a bit what's been prepared for the Expo 2020, uh, 2020, which is taking place this year, and I hope it does still take place, And because it has been an amazing, I think, uh, idea of how to connect physical and virtual and somehow project this, the 21st, 21st century society into the Expo. But in terms of what's happening, I see it, maybe a one simple way to separate is using traditional terms is there's the hardware and there's the software. 
the hardware uh, stranger it sounds is the easy part, uh, especially in the societies you mentioned that have higher densities. And so that's not the, the challenge. And hardware is getting cheaper and it's getting better. One should still do, you know, focus on it. And there is ideas to put internet in the, through satellites, as some of the Silicon Valley companies are doing for dispersely de densely populated African countries. So then it's more on the software side. And maybe I'll talk a bit more about government, uh, given you, you raised that issue. And there I see again two subparts. One is a lot of things we take for granted, which are actually would have been considered revolutions that you can register your car online, that you can do a lot of other practical things that almost any administration, at least in the more developed countries, are now carrying out. At the same time, there is still a lot of way to go, right? As I know of friends here in Vienna that just to extend their roof a little bit and it's a mega complicated now complication because i can't go to the office and it still needs an office visit and there is not the setting that we have now through zoom and through shared platforms that you could just develop that so there's still some catch-up to do there is some hardware established but the whole i would call the software the which i mean the human interactions in a smooth way as business would do is not yet and there's the third bucket which is the the, the core part that you highlight how can we use big data and uh, AI for good and not for bad. And there's always a lot of concerns in some ways. And here my, my a little nugget and an injection I like to make my spark is a lot of opportunities we could do and reduce the scale of people is if you would go top down, which means from the aggregate to the specific. So don't use Ian Khan's individual data, but use the data of your community where you are, of your city, of your neighborhood, and make projections about the types of people like you. So if you have an illness, if you have a certain weakness in school, it doesn't need your individual data only, a bit like your bank account, right? Your bank account should not be, you know, should be confidential, but your bank should know how the financial trends are going and the central bank should know even more and it does. And the same analogy we need for education and for health. And then I think we can get some service revolution in those sectors. And uh, thank you. One of the points that uh, I was just thinking about is also include inclusion, uh, inclusion of societies and people who are not necessarily connected to the internet. There's many regions that are not connected in many parts of the world. They don't have access to the internet. They're not um, uh, digitally uh, well versed with how to use a computer or even have a computer. I think it's very important to include those uh, those communities, those those people into whatever services you're offering, whatever products anybody is offering, uh, and to make sure they're served right. Uh, I want to talk a little bit more about the impact of technology. And um, I read a recent report that the World Bank has come out with. I think you're a contributor to that as well. And one of the points within there is um, artificial intelligence and its usage in, in, in the rollout of services and products and governments, especially in the European Union. What are you seeing uh, as a trend? What can you share about AI's role as it's evolving right now, given that it's, it, it has a big focus on in, in every conversation? Yeah, maybe I connected with your point on inclusion because there is a, it's almost like, paradoxical that on the one hand, you we get ever more sophisticated, um, but at the same time, the objective needs to be to democratize the space so that everybody with the least um, education or formal education can use things. 
And if incentives are right, then we don't need to worry about some of the skills gap. Um, I lived in Kenya. Kenya was the world market leader in mobile money and M-Pesa. And everybody, and at that time, there were no smartphones. It was very basic phones. Everybody could use it because it was so simple. It was like your, your TV remote. And if it's as simple as that, um, and especially as smartphones are very simple to use, uh, and they become cheaper and cheaper. Some of those aspects, these people will be included if you give them the access and then make sure with the right price, they can get the services and contribute themselves. In terms of what we are um, seeing in Europe and the report Europe 4.0 that you referred to, let me make two points and two insights we, we found. Um, it is It depends of which portion of the um, in, of, of the digital space you we, we talk about. If it's what we call informational or transactional technologies, like the ones we are familiar with, also for the big companies in the Silicon Valley, they are surprisingly inclusive. So actually the government should make most the barriers as low as possible that these startups, these companies enter the market, the government should actually go out of the way often and not don't worry except providing the infrastructure so that these small and then larger companies can bloom and blossom because they're surprisingly inclusive socially and geographically. It's different with what we call operational technologies, which are the robots of the future and the drones. And that's more the manufacturing space that will be redone. And obviously we could just mention driverless cars of how they move an industry into a service and that itself then, you know, you should still encourage it because it will grow the pie but then you need to distribute some of the fruits of it. Absolutely. Do you see do you see governments using these technologies to serve people who are out of reach, robots, drones, powered by AI technology? Uh, uh, is the World Bank seeing some data come through, or in in your research that something has come up on some governments, maybe even trying to think about that this is the way to go about? Well, some is even just implementing what's there now. So if you have connectivity and you live in a poor rural part of Romania, you can actually not be part of the global economy because you can have your, again, once COVID is over, you can have an Airbnb and be part or have an economic opportunity you would never have had before. Um, but then there are, um, there's obviously a lot of, you know, just to give you another example, there's hearing aids. Hearing aids are highly sophisticated and need that type of operational technologies that I mentioned about. And there, Europe is still the world market leader because, because of AI, and particularly in Poland, interestingly, because of AI and because of um, the points you made, you can make it, you know, you can produce it much more competitively and then distribute it globally on a much larger scale uh, through sometimes AI-powered, you know, value chain systems that also Amazon is, is famous for. So, but I, as you indicated in terms of obviously what is another big shift in a global trend, aging and healthcare. And there, I guess, we're yet to see some of the next frontier of how you can provide services and services for the elderly through those health robots that you referred to. I guess that's, that's still in the infancy, but it's ever more needed given that silver tsunami is, upon us. Of course, and I think with, with uh, any uh, public sector organization that's trying to do something for its citizens, for its stakeholders, it's important to you know consider 
the delivery of you know healthcare services to the elderly and we are seeing this right now with uh, covid-19 with the rollout of services with the rollout of vaccines and uh, some countries that are really progressive are struggling with the rollout and some countries that that have gotten it right are agile and nimble and they're they're aggressively uh, vaccinating their their residents and Israel and UAE being the top two countries right now on on the, on the on the list of countries that are doing really well with vaccinating the maximum number of people uh, and let me tell you the, the some of the countries that I am personally connected with they are lacking by a huge margin they're they're just falling behind right now but I think it's also a cyclical thing um, it's supply and demand it's vaccination pr production. And there's many elements to it that that I think are are really complex. Uh, Wolfgang, give me your your recommendations, your final final recommendations for uh, governments that are planning to roll out services to citizens. What should they look for or 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 do? You mentioned data. You mentioned AI. You mentioned many different things. Summarize it for us and tell us what well, are the top things. Well, number one again. Don't be scared of data, otherwise you're scared of the future and um, empower your people. Don't hide it, just let them use it. And don't be scared also of mistakes. There's errors in data, it's like everywhere. Your Google search is never perfect, but it gets better and better. And that's what this space will be, especially for you know the, what most citizens are concerned with. Because the, the alternative, if you think you wanna be perfect, say in healthcare, well, you can be perfect at some point, but many people die in between and some people might die anyway, but those who can then benefit, say, from better cancer care, from better dementia care, are those who, you know, you're very ha happy if you could encourage that type of AI and, and data. And then just be, you know, don't be slow with the basics and with these core services. You know, everything has to do from core administration to registration to car registration extension. All of those things just model some of the countries you mentioned, Estonia and UAE. It's not rocket science. These countries were poor countries of you know a generation ago, and they did it. So all the others should just embrace that as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Wolfgang Fengler with the World Bank. Thank you so much for your time and and this amazing conversation. You take care, and uh, and we'll see you around. Great pleasure, Ian. Thanks a lot. Thank you.